I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. You're listening to episode 67. If you missed the pilot episode or this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to set their minds on things above. And that comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, where Paul says, set your minds on things above. Jay Samet said, starting each day with a positive mindset is the most important step of your journey to discovering opportunity. That's just the reality we live in, where we set our minds determines our lives. That which we think about, that which we dwell upon, impacts how we live. And so we want to offer something for you that you can think about, reflect on, and meditate on so that you can set your mind on things above. Today's thought from above is this. We know our sin in relation to Him. Sin is a hard thing to talk about. It's something we're all aware of, something we struggle with, something that's really a challenge in our life with God. But the reality is we know that we sin, and we struggle with it, and we want to learn how to overcome it. Are there any steps we can take? Are there ways we can win the battle of sin in our lives? I think one of the most important things that we can do is to begin to think about how we think about sin. The Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard once said that when it comes to sin, we're subjective towards ourselves and objective towards others. Meaning that when it comes to my own sin, I'm subjective, meaning that I won't look at it in a very objective way, like, well, this is right, this is wrong, I did bad, I did something that was sinful. Instead, I'll take a subjective approach and say, well, you know, the reason I did that behavior was because, you know, maybe I can blame somebody else or explain it away in some fashion so that I can make my sin, maybe even not really sin, just a mistake or a weakness or something like that. That's what Kierkegaard was getting at when he said that towards our own sin, we tend to be subjective. But when it comes to others, Kierkegaard said, we are much more objective, meaning that if I'm thinking about someone else's sin or I hear a story about someone else's sinful behavior, I tend to be pretty exacting. I'll be like, oh, that was wrong. I mean, that was just flat out wrong. I won't ask, what were the extenuating circumstances or what was behind the struggle that that person had? Instead, I'm just going to look at it and say, well, that was clearly very bad and that person did a very bad thing and that sin should probably be punished. That's what Kierkegaard was getting at when he said that we're subjective towards ourselves, but objective towards others. I know this is a struggle for me personally because, as T.S. Eliot once said, we live with an endless struggle to think well of ourselves. So I would like to think that I'm a pretty good person. That's something that I, I want to think about myself, and I don't like thinking that I'm not that. I certainly don't want to think of myself as a sinful person. But as Dallas Willard often said, if sin is something that we do, we have to acknowledge that we are a sinner. Now, on this podcast, we talk a lot about our identity in Christ. We're people in whom Christ dwells and delights. That's my fundamental identity. That's how I identify myself. Not primarily as a sinner, 
but as one who has died and risen with Christ. I am a person in whom Christ dwells and delights. That's my fundamental identity. But having said that, I also want to acknowledge that I do see sin in my life. I was very moved back when I was in seminary by a sermon by John Wesley. I studied John Wesley's sermons. In fact, there's 150 of Wesley's sort of greatest hits, his his sermons that are the standard 150 sermons. And I studied those because I was journeying toward ministry as a United Methodist, and Wesley, being the founder of the Methodist Church, was my go-to guy. I was encouraged, in fact, when I was in college by Richard J. Foster. He said, if you're going to be a Methodist, you got to know Wesley. So I studied Wesley. And one particular sermon that I really found helpful was a sermon called On Sin in Believers, which the title's not that exciting, but the gist of it is, is Wesley wanted to say, look, after you become a Christian, after you confess Jesus as Lord and are walking in that way, walking towards sanctification, Wesley would say, not just that I've been justified in my faith, but in that journey, Wesley was recognizing that Christians still have sin in their lives. Wesley's word was, even though sin remains in a Christian, it must not reign. And I always like that phrase, just to recognize that I am a human being, and though I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights, sin remains. However, it must not reign. It must not dominate my life. So as I look at certain areas of my life and say, is that really fitting for who I am? I can then begin to look at it very differently. I think that's really what Kierkegaard was getting at, was saying, when we look at our own lives, how do we take the approach to say, I want to understand my sin. I want to name it because the only way to overcome it is to name that reality and to be honest about it and to seek Christ in that process. And so what I've been really struck by is this idea that I only really fully understand my sin in relation to Jesus. So if Kierkegaard's right, that I'm going to have a natural tendency to be softer on my own sin, even though I can be pretty harsh and very hard on someone else's sin, if that's the case, then how am I going to get into this place that I really understand the nature of what sin is? One way is that I could just begin to try to really dwell on my sin and think about how bad it is and how disappointing it must be to God that I still have that sin, that I've lie or gossip or lust or uh, covet or you pick them, right? There's a whole bunch, there's so many ways that we turn away from God and try to find something from some other way. So if that's the case, the question is, how will I be able to look at it in the right way? And the answer, I think, is simply, well, drumroll please, Jesus. That's why the thought from above for this podcast is, We know our sin in relation to him. And that's precisely how Paul would frame this idea. So, for example, in our passage that we dwell on a lot in this podcast, which is Colossians 3, I know I've had a lot of people who have read my books. I encourage them to memorize Colossians 3. It's so powerful. 
But in, in Colossians 3, Paul begins this by saying, since then you've been raised with Christ. What's he doing there? Right away in verse 1, he's establishing our identity. He's saying, since then, you Christians, you guys are people who've been raised with Christ. Therefore, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, verse 2, on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Such a rich passage, but the main point is Paul saying, you're a new person in Christ. And then, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you're going to appear with him in glory. So in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, Paul's establishing who we are. And then in verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly within you, the sin that still is in your members, in your bodies. Because that was Paul's way of thinking about it, that sin actually is an embodied thing, that as we engage in practice of sin, it's, it's embodied within us. So Paul's counsel in verse 5 is mortify it. That's the old King James language version of that, is mortify the sin in your members. It's a great word, and it basically means to sort of choke it out, take the life out of that sin. And what Paul's doing, the genius of it, is saying, if you know who you are as a person in Christ, then it's Christ's relation to who you are as a person that really helps you understand what sin is. And I find this to be a principle at work in the Gospels. So, for example, in the story of Zacchaeus, a very popular Bible story, Jesus is journeying along, and there's Zacchaeus, who we sometimes call the wee little man, because he was, says he was short of stature, and he got up in a tree to see Jesus. But Jesus looks at him and says, Tonight, let's have dinner at your house, Zach, you and me. Now, what we know about him as a tax collector was he was someone who defrauded his people. He was Tax collectors were sort of a despicable group of people because they, they stole from their own people to give to the hated Romans. And the whole practice was just sort of beneath most people. It was just, you looked down on it. And you knew that it was a profession that involved lying and greed and all sorts of things. So Jesus knows this. He knows who Zacchaeus is. And he says, let's have dinner. Now, what happens is at dinner, something transpires that makes Zacchaeus at the end of the story stand up and say, this is exactly what it says. It's in Luke 19. He says, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, and he did, I'll pay back four times as much. Now, what I love about this story is you don't know what happened in that dinner encounter. You don't know what they talked about. We don't know that Jesus said anything to him about it. I kind of like to think that somehow by just being with Jesus, Zacchaeus saw his sin for what it is, which is that which destroys. He really understood. He moved from Kierkegaard's idea of a subjective view of sin. Well, you know, I'm just, it's a job. I'm doing my job. He can, you know, he explained it away. Why is he defrauding people? But when he's with Jesus now, now he takes a different approach. Somehow by the end of the meal, he's like, hey, you know what? I am going to give back. All half of everything I own, I'm giving it to the poor. And he literally says, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. 
Somehow Jesus became Lord in his life during that meal. And he's going to pay back four times what he's defrauded. I really, really like that. It reminds me of something that the great theologian Karl Barth said. And he said it so well, I have to quote it. He said this, Only when we know Jesus Christ do we really know that we are a person of sin and what sin is and what it means for us. The knowledge of human sin, said Bart, is enclosed in the person of Jesus. Bart goes on to say, it's foolish, right, to play the game of saying, oh, my sin's, you know, not as bad as yours or whatever it is. What he's getting at is when we are in connection with Jesus, we really understand the nature of our sin. That's what is so profound. Because I think that when we think about the saving work of Christ, the reality is the saving work of Christ does not excuse our sin. No, in fact, the Christ in me and the Christ in you actually exposes sin for what it is. And here's the key. And in so doing, also provides the power to repent. Now we know this is who I am. This doesn't fit. Sin is by its nature that which destroys. And that's why Paul can say so consistently in his epistles, this is who you are in Christ. Therefore, walk in newness of life. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your minds on things above and put to death, therefore, the sin that remains in you. We know our sin in relation to him. We know it, and we can, and only then can, put it to death by the power of Christ within. I hope you'll join me next time for episode 68. It's at Things Above Conversation with Shane Blackshear. Shane has an excellent podcast called Seminary Dropout. It's been around a number of years. It's fantastic. And it's going to be a great conversation because he's a really, really interesting guy. And I hope you tune in. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast at apprenticeinstitute.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And you can also subscribe which means you'll get them automatically each week. You won't have to do anything. It'll just be right there for you. My hope is that one day if you're asked, hey, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above. <laughs>